don't have a steady job in L.A., you have to learn how to do a million things, or this town will simply bleach your corpse and bloat it and float it out into the ocean. I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, why did they write this? I think I've read, well, let me, let me figure this out. I think I've read probably around 800 to 1,000 scripts now. I mean, it's horrifying. I like, I have a little tiny lingering fear that someone, that someday one of these writers is going to read something that I wrote about their script and just come and like bash my brains in. Anytime you put a human being into the process, they're gonna leave a little little artifacts of their soul there, and the whole like consumer packaging pro- process is like trying to remove all those artifacts and just have it be a shiny product. And I mean, who can who can blame them because it sells better? Thank you, Darwinist capitalist uh, model, for making me such a like a well-rounded, insane, like, uh, turd polisher. <laughs> turd sorter and turd polisher. Well, um, my name is Scott Bruzneck. I'm 32. I've been in L.A. for about six years this stretch. I came, I was here for a little bit off and on before that. So I've been coming back and forth for 10 years, but I've been living here pretty much solid for six years. Um, I came here to pursue music. Um, I played in bands for a little bit, and then I started producing demos for singers, and then I tried to do commercial music, all relatively unsuccessfully. And uh, then I got into doing audio post for films, so I started as an editor, and I became a re-recording mixer. Um, that was a little more successful. And along the way, I've picked up several jobs, including script reader for a uh, minor celebrity. Um, I also edit audiobooks, and currently I do environmental canvassing. <laughs> so that's pretty much those are the things that I do. Well, I really, really love doing re-recording mixing. All of my training as a musician, it all comes, it all gels incredibly well with what I have to do as a re-recording mixer. And you're basically making this like uh, this all-inclusive world of sound. I'm the last link in the chain for all the audio in a movie. It's pretty awesome. Well, for one shamefully long stretch, I did all of the movies for this horror movie company who would turn out one movie a month, sometimes more. 
and they would actually do knockoffs of famous movies. So, for instance, I did uh, War of the Worlds with C. Thomas Howell, that <laughs> the release of which coincided with the release of the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds in the movie theater. Like, this came out in the same day in the video store. So people would go to the video store and say, like, oh, my God, War of the Worlds. I didn't realize it was out on video, and I didn't realize that C. Thomas Howell was in it. Oh, God, like, there was, like, <laughs> when King Kong came out, they did King of the Lost World, um, which was awful. These movies are just awful. Um, what other knockoffs did I work on? Shapeshifter. Well, the story of that movie, that's the movie that, I, that me and uh, my wife, Ariel, did the score for in six days. And I actually went to a Da Vinci sleeping schedule to get through that, where I was staying awake for six hours and then sleeping for like an hour and a half. <laughs> the end result was horrifying. It was terrible. So I had to do a movie score in six days, and that's like a lot of work. And then the next one for King of the Lost World, they're like, yeah, well, uh, can you do this one in three days? And we'll pay you half of the money that we paid you before. <laughs> and that's when I that's when I kind of just, I, I just had to just, you know, respectfully say no with that one. No! From Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's classic tale comes the terrifying action-adventure that inspired King Kong and Jurassic Park. Starring Bruce Boxleitner from Babylon 5 and Steve Railsback from The Devil's Rejects. That company kind of... King of the Lost World. It was kind of always imploding from the beginning, but... Like, right when, right when they pulled the work from us because there was a lot of personality conflicts between our post house and this company, they, um, they were working on the Transmorphers instead of the Transformers. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a period I'd like to put behind me. I actually rubbed shoulders with some... some famous producers when I was in my short stint in music industry and I learned I learned that they are incredibly great musicians who are honing their craft to try to make a lot of money and that I, I also learned that there's not a lot of opportunity for kids just starting out <laughs> like you have to just for lack of a better term just kind of eat crap for a while and um, like I knew a kid who was talented, you know, he was like a hip hop MPC producer, um, which means he was, he made beats and produced female singers usually. And he actually was, he got on a major hit that was in like 2006. He totally wrote the bridge to a famous song and I'm not going to go into it any further, but it's like one that was a major hit that you'll still hear on, you know, on the occasional commercial or something, you'll hear at the bowling alley, you know, you hear anywhere you hear stuff from 2006. And he didn't get credit and he didn't get paid. And that's the kind of poop 
that you just have to eat and smile. Like, you, you won't get credit and you won't get paid. And you just have to stick around and try to sleep on enough, sleep on the right couches and just make it. I mean, it's a hard life. <laughs> you know, until you make it and then you charge whatever, like, 35 grand a track and then you're doing fine forever, you know? The producers that are doing that work, you know, they're making their upfront money of like whatever twenty to eighty thousand dollars a track, or sometimes even more. Like it was like some people were making like two hundred grand a track back then, and it was it was like that was like nice for them, but they were really trying to make hits and make you know two million dollars or five million dollars, like by doing the next you know who let the dogs out or or like you know, the next Nelly signal or something. These are, uh, these audiobooks are, um, like technical books, usually for, um, Audible Incorporated, which is a big online, um, book, like audiobook company. I do, like, accounting and management and, like, nursing textbooks. So I have to go through and take all the breaths and the little weird words out, and like all the mistakes, and then just double check it against the um, against the printed words. So like the nursing ones are really fun because it's like a lot of a lot of words that I've never heard before, basically. And then the accounting ones are very boring, and then the managerial ones are like insanely soul crushing. Like, that's the only word I can use to describe it. Like, the accounting ones are kind of like, it's kind of like a, a series of random numbers. Like, that's how boring it is. But the managerial ones are like, it's almost like this coded language by which they're trying to tell you how to sort people into categories based on, like, their productivity and, like, how you need to force them into the mold of like what they need to be to be a good worker and like how you recognize a good worker and like what a good organization is. Yeah, it's just, um, I get to know these things intimately because I have to go through them once and then double check them and then QC them again, so. They, they like did, had some recording method where they like just recorded everything and that was what I was working with for a while but then they started doing like what's called loop recording so I wouldn't have to deal with all the messed up takes in it which is just another way like actually Amazon bought Audible out so they they uh, streamlined and they cut our wages and they made the actual recording editors work harder so (laughs) thanks Amazon for my 30% uh, demotion. (laughs) It used to be so funny because you'd get, we used to get the whole raw like recording session. And so they'd they'd, like curse and like mock the stuff for how boring it was. (laughs) And like just make fun of it and be like, oh God, like look at this crappy sentence. And then read it three times and then laugh and burp and fart and stuff. And, and, you know, like, be gurgling from their lunch and, and, like, talking and, like, flirting with the, like, recording editor. And now it's just, like, it's just, like, this polished product. It's, like, a, it's like the turd that's, like, 90% polished that I just have to add my little bit of shine to. And, you know, and just, like, float on down the river. 
because anytime you put a human being into the process, they're gonna leave a little little artifacts of their soul there, and the whole like consumer packaging pro- process is like trying to remove all those artifacts and just have it be a shiny product. And I mean, who can who can blame them because it sells better? I mean, doing canvassing is a little like that actually because you stick to a script. And usually the closer that you stay to it, the better you do. But you just are the human face on that script. It's very... It can be crushing for people. Like, it can, that can be soul-crushing for people. But actually, I, I get that for some reason. Like, I get it. And I, and I can do it without losing my mind. I work for an environmental advocacy group that's, like, the biggest in the state. And um, it's like we're working on like a national campaign for basically renewable energy. And so I'm out in the street just trying to stop people saying like, hey, how are you doing? Do you have a minute for the environment? And they like, you know, either say like global warming doesn't exist or like no or like or they're like, yes, of course I do. And then they come over and then I read them a script and then they say like um, usually like do you have a website or. Uh, I don't know anything about you guys, or I don't have any money. And then you basically try to see if they'll become a member and pay a little bit of money to join the campaign. The canvassers, when they hired me, they, I was like, I don't have any experience in sales or working with, you know, like, or managing people. I don't know how to do any of that. And they're like, actually, we find that musicians tend to do better at this job. And I think it's because of the memorization and then, like, basically owning something that you recite over and over again. Well, I'm, like, the first level of defense between the world of all of these scriptwriters in the world and then this actor. And so I have to summarize them for this actor. And they sometimes use me as a, as like the deciding mechanism to see if they're actually going to make something. Or, you know, I have a sinking sensation that that they want to know how bad it is because they're probably going to take it anyway if it has enough money but they just want to know what they're getting into and if they're and if they don't want to take it they at least want to be able to say like seven words to the writer or, or whoever got them the script to convince them that they actually read it when in fact they won't read the script uh, maybe not even after they act in the movie like, they might just read the sides that they have, and sides are just an actor's lines. So, yeah, um, I'm, uh, among other things, I'm that guy who's, you know, ruining lives. <laughs> it's horrifying, isn't it? That me, like, being so sarcastic and such a smartass would, would have your script, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, like, Oh my god, why did they write this? I mean, it's horrifying. I like, I have a little tiny lingering fear 
that someone that someday one of these writers is going to read something that I wrote about their script and just come and like bash my brains in because my job they know my sense of humor and my tolerance level for bad art and they they always or they they expect me to be very harsh in my assessment of things and so I'll read a lot of bad movies and I do not pull any punches because I'm not there to try to make the script better I'm there to say what a pile of garbage it is and why it should not see the light of day or on the off chance that it isn't a pile of garbage I'm I'm there to I'm basically there to give it a book you know like a third grade book report I think I've read well let me let me figure this out I think I've read probably around 800 to 1000 scripts now because I've been doing it for about 10 years and um yeah mainly so it's like about 55% of them are like you know what i call like tubies slasher detective movies <laughs> and then there's like um there's like the spattered like romantic comedies and then like hallmark family movies and the occasional horror movie and then the occasional like uh, there's a good percentage of horror movies i'd say it's like 20% horror movies and then the occasional like big budget movie like i actually read the last batman that came out i've learned the type of bad scripts and i can i can usually tell in the first couple of pages because there's a bad script um this is the most common type that will be just bashed out by a professional writer and it seems like they're pounded out in like a period of 2 days and it's basically like introduce okay first kill someone on about page 3 and then introduce the um the most important couple and they're the serious ones and then um you know and they're like falling in love or breaking up or something they're but they're in love definitely and then introduce uh the other five people who are going to be like the sexier like naked ones or like the muscly guys who like have loud mouths and then introduce the premise by like page 20 and then you just throw it all in a pot and let everybody basically screw each other and kill each other and then around page 80 you get a twistaroni and then after that um basically like and pages 60 through 70 that's like they're falling in love again you know like the the peep like the two serious characters that we knew just were going to get back together and then by the end like we find out who's going to survive and it's either the killer or like the woman who has found her strength and maybe the guy who has found that he is actually in love with the girl and that then that movie has to be 87 pages long because that's the shortest length that any movie has to be to be considered like a feature right and usually they put in four more pages so you know the director can hack three pages out and still have their movie and not have to like bring the writer back on set to like write a crappy scene um that's one type and the they the writers it seems like they spent about 2 to 4 days making these movies because it's it's just a formula and then the second type of bad movie 
which is really it's like finding a truffle. It's like I'm a pig in the you know in the French woods, like just snuffling through the earth, like find, trying to find this truffle. It's like someone really wanted to make just the best movie in the world, and they can't write worth a damn, and they don't understand. And then they write this like 150 page script about God knows what, and it's just utter garbage. And these, those are the type of people that I know are going to hunt down one day. Because it's like a labor of love for them. Like a truffle, I mean, they're they're individual, like, little, little self-contained worlds. Like, I read this one about um, the Red Baron, I guess, which was just like, just really a little bit dreary and I don't know like a lot of these they're trying to make an important movie so they end up being just basically pompous a little bit but then like delightfully amateurish in other ways I don't know it's hard to explain I have sympathy for those people like the first type I really like I can really basically assume that Satan had something to do with it, or it's or not Satan, but just, you know, just some just some writer trying to basically pay his mortgage. And it's like I feel for you, dude, but for God's sake, just try to switch it up just a tiny, tiny bit. Take out the clock spring. We navigate spider map. Oh well, now um. For the past month or so, I've been, um, I have to work on things more mentally as I do other stuff, like, like while I walk the dogs or while I ride the bus, um, because that's sometimes the only time that I really have, um, to work on it. Like, I'll come home and I'll want to spend time with my wife and you know, cook dinner and stuff, and then I'll be working the rest of the time, or having to go to sleep, or, you know, waking up and getting ready to go. So, like, walking around is actually the time that I have been writing most of my music now. And that's, that's really strangely rewarding, actually, because part of the stuff that I work on is, like, um, designing little computer programs to write music automatically and that's an incredibly non-linear intellectual process so it's not like writing music like you sit down with a piece of paper or a guitar and say like la 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 and then remember that and then develop it it's like you make the machine that will decide if that thing that I sang was a good melody or not and so it's like this collection of like little like Rube Goldberg devices that do little things and then fit together in this hierarchy um, that eventually creates these songs and melodies and musical sounds and shapes and stuff. So that's something that I work on when I'm walking around. <clears throat> and then I'll work on these kind of more complex rhythms that I've been trying to figure out. And I'll try to write those into songs. Um, and 
That's a complex process that just takes a lot of practice, which actually is conducive to walking too, because you know, walking is a repetitive motoric like activity. So it's like that can be a steady pulse while I try to figure out these other pulses. And then on those structures of rhythms and beats, I'll try to put songs, basically like little melodies, and then write whole songs as I'm walking around, basically. And then I'll use the computer, actually, to help me remember certain things. And <clears throat> so I'll, like, structure out a bunch of little rhythms that I wrote while I was walking around and then realized on guitar. Structure those and then write a melody to that while I'm sitting here or, you know, in the, in the couple of hours that I have at home. And then I'll memorize that and then walk around again and try to write words to it which I really love doing because writing words while you're out walking around in LA is wonderful because it gives you a lot of ideas and like big ideas about like what is happening with civilization. <laughs> so it's like suitably grandiose and kind of crazy. And that's me. And like, oh, why, why are you doing that with your free time? <laughs> I'm doing that with my free time because it's my passion. That's like, like music has saved my life like a million times over again. And it's, and I follow these ideas that I get and they lead me to these wonderful places where I communicate with people. And basically that feels more like it feels more like the mark that I'm leaving on the world than, you know, just this, like, wreckage of scripts and horrible movies. That's, you know, that's like, I think everybody, I think a lot of people have that passion. Take out the clock spring, we navigate spider map, light of the daydream shaking the stone into ash, effort she saves us weaving her hair, power lines, Every green leaf tells the earth of the sky Apartment shine in the heat of the sun Damn crawl space hollows the structure to air Cats in the hedges crooked and blonde Murderers revenged and coiled riot Grinnell pop and rendered a mouse effortless golden headlights waiting the night sewer watch of heaven turns up the ash and the fog legends shapes upright the pebbly throne sky blue brown tracing the power branch electric clockers that went to the ground dim wool and paw printer mounted up to the leap slink down the wall inside
And all the music that you've heard on this program was uh, composed by Scott Bruzneck. If you want to reach him online, he is waiting for your email at sammyburbank at gmail.com. That's S-A-M-M-Y-B-U-R-B-A-N-K at gmail.com. He'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Eric Klein, and this was Open Book. Polite hands open the door to the night. Thank brave young men for the use of their time. Any solution save death and suicide sneaks past the tattooed children. Water shatters the nighttime. Rivers on rooftops curled up and threaded. Worse for the water.